I get their schedule. Uh, the Book of Romans. And please don't tweet Facebook any of that stuff. I, I mean, I don't know that it's that, you know, what could happen, but just as, as spooked as he was, just don't. And we'll talk about it uh, next week. But as a church, as a body, and if you're visiting, uh, uh, when you leave today, there will be a magnetic strip that will re uh, remove all the memory of this service happening to you anyway. So you'll be... <laughs> Romans chapter 3. That's actually true, by the way. I know this because how much stuff do you remember from any sermon you ever hear, right? There's a magnetic strip that just erases everything. Romans 3 verses t uh, 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the time, the present time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Lord, we are uh, encountering your word this morning, and my prayer is that it isn't an academic exercise, but it's the spiritual uh, opening of our eyes that you've promised. That as we encounter your word, that we are encountering uh, a light for our path, a lamp for our feet, that it is... Uh, alive and powerful and it can divide between our soul and our spirit and we just pray that those things are happening in all of our hearts and all of our minds today in Jesus name amen you know the the thing about when you get to a book like Romans is that there's some things that we think we know there are some doctrines that we sort of I don't really know much about that one so I kind of skip over it and I don't understand it which I feel like propitiation kind of fits that, and we sort of unpacked that last week. But then there are those that you have heard so much that you think you understand it, and so just by the, uh, the mere familiarity of it, it sort of becomes sort of blasé and sort of old school, and sort of, I got that one figured out. And I really think that redemption is one of those concepts. So much so that I thought, well, we'll just kind of skip over that one. That's what I thought. But I really, as I prayed about it, realized, I don't know that we should do that. Because if at the very foundation of what we understand God to be, we misunderstand, it affects us forever. It affects you for time to come. If you remember a few years back in Florida specifically, there were this, uh, this problem that happened because the, the drywall inside of the houses was made in China and the, the Laracas experienced this firsthand. And what happened was this very simple, very easy thing because it was by the builders missed it ruined a lot of people's lives for years and years to come because of a very simple thing that should have been real easy and they blew it and it was all over the national news and if you missed it you know thank god that it wasn't in your home right redemption i believe is that kind of a concept redemption is a it's a financial term if if uh, if you've been to the groupon are you familiar with the groupon right and how many of you guys have done this thing? I've noticed that uh, my wife, I think, has done this, where you get, uh, that was a great deal, and then you kind of forget about it, and all of a sudden you have like a bunch of great deals, and you're racing the clock, or I just got to give them away now, because I'm going to be out of town, I can't get to that one, I can't redeem that one, because I have uh, 
I don't have time for it anymore. That, with me, that, by the way, is the problem of this new one-click purchase on the Amazon Kindle app. It's killing me. Because I'm like, there, I get this book that sounds awesome, and the next thing I know, I've got 20 of them. I'm like, oh, man, how did I do that? But redeeming those coupons, so to speak, redeeming that, whether it's with your iTunes gift cards. How many of you guys got your iTunes gift cards? And then you go and redeem them for the cool new app that's awesome for about a week. And then you go get another one. So redeeming is that. I am handing in something in exchange for something else. It's, it's a financial term. And in Paul's day, there was this place called the Oguro, which the closest we would have would be uh, Walmart. It was the market. If you've been to a developing nation, it's probably a little more accurate. Actually, if you've been to Walmart on Thursday night, uh, the Black Thursday thing. My wife made me go to that this year. She did. She said, and I, you know, one of her love languages is acts of service, so I'm going to go do an act of service at Walmart. I'd never been to one of these things. Holy goodness. It was like pandemonium. And that's a little bit of what it's like in a developing nation market. That was what the Aguro would have been like in Paul's day in Rome. But with one interesting side note in that you could also not just buy uh, some raw meat or some mutton, or, but you could also buy people. Was, there were slaves that were bought and sold at the Aguro. And if you went to the Aguro to buy these things, the word that they used for purchasing a slave, for redeeming the slave, was agorazo. That was a Greek word, and it meant that I'm purchasing this slave, but I also indicated that I could bring the slave back and, and exchange for another one. It was an awful practice, and that was agorazo. That is not the word that Paul uses here for redeem. There was another word called ex agorazo, and that word indicated that you had bought the slave, but you intended to keep the slave. There was no return policy, if you will. You were going to keep this slave forever. Also, not the word that Paul uses here for redemption. There is another word called, and I'm, for those of you that are the actual Greek scholars, I just play one on television. I think the pronunciation is, is latruo. And it is an indication, it is a word that meant that I am going to purchase this slave not for the purpose of owning, not for the purpose of owning and exchanging, but for the purpose simply of setting them free. It was truo. That was the word that he uses here. And it is a remarkable word. And you might be thinking, Darren, that's awesome. It's all Greek to me. I don't get it. The Groupon thing, I kind of get, but this Lytruo thing. And the great news for you and for I is that God knows that. He knows that not all of us are wired to get it. He knows that I'm barely wired to get it. I'm not wired to get math, for instance. The school that I grew up in was in Nebraska. We were in the middle of nowhere. There was a sign that said entering the middle of Actually, it wasn't. It was, it was a town called Superior, which was named with no sense of irony. And there was a sign right on the border that says, Welcome to Nebraska, the good life. Again, no sense of irony. And so this little town, the, we had two kinds of teachers, two kinds of educators. One were uh, farmers' wives, and they were great. They were hearty. They were, you know, 
they, they, could, they weren't screwing around. They, they, you know, they knew their way around. And the, you know, so the, you, know, you got great education from the farmer's wives. The others were teachers who couldn't get work anywhere else. We had, I kid you not, a legally blind art teacher. Let that settle in. An anti-government government teacher who was arrested in class for making threats against the IRS. <laughs> Mr. Wes Sumter, God rest his soul. But we had a math teacher uh, named Mr. Weber who uh, was really holding on to about 1972. Okay, and I was, this was about 87. So it was about 12 years too long on the fro. He was clearly open for the, uh, the reunion tour for Creedence Clearwater. I mean, he was Skinnered, you know, but, but what Mr. Weber did a lot of was he would set the tone for our education by, uh, with algebra saying, uh, he'd basically read the little book of the chapter and then we were to do the work in the chapter while he sat and played Donkey Kong in what was in a, a pre-equivalent uh, of like the Commodore 64, I think it was. And, and I say that to say I didn't understand Algebra, I still don't understand algebra. One of my favorite moments of the week is when my kids say, hey dad, could you help me with math? No. <laughs> and some of you have been a part of that when I finally just give up and I just tweet, hey, can someone please help me? What is this answer to this thing? And some of you guys, Tracy Roberts, are very good with math and have helped my child uh, get her homework done on time. <laughs> You don't have to understand the, the complexities of this to understand redemption. I said this last week. I don't care if you know the word propitiation. I just want you to know the God that provides it. And the same with redemption. And God knows that maybe you're not going to be a Greek scholar, but he knows that we can understand stories. And he gives us a perfect one in the book of Ruth. And if you turn there, we're going to camp there for a while. I believe it's on page 468. For those of you that have your little uh, smartphones, you'll be able to find it quicker. But Ruth chapter 1 is a story of a family who had it going pretty good. And I believe this because there's a father, his name was Elimelech. And his name meant God is king. And his wife's name was Naomi, and her name meant sweet thing. It's my wife's sweet thing. It doesn't sound the same, does it? He had a son named Malon and Shileon, and their names meant song and satisfaction. I believe those are the literal translations of that word. They lived in a town called Bethlehem. Remember Bethlehem? If you know this or not, but Bethlehem, the best, I think, I think the best translation, literal translation is uh, house of bread. Bread, it's like a, if you're, it's not a place for the Atkins diet people among you. House of bread in Judah, which meant praise. So put it together, you got Elimelech, a guy who says that God is king with his sweet thing wife and their song and satisfaction in a house of bread and a place of praise. Had it going pretty well, didn't they? And it says in verse 1 that you should uh, be at verse 1, which is where I am not. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was 
a famine in the land, and a certain man of Judah went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Second Chronicles 6 tells us that when famine happens in our lives, that we ought to pray. When there's a dryness that happens, that we should pray. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. It was in the context of a famine that was in the land, and they should have prayed, and it was going so well, but what happened to them is what happens to us. Just suddenly it became a little dry. It became a little distant, and it became a little hungry, and what we ought to do is pray, but what they did was go to a place called Moab, which God in Psalm 108 calls his wash tub. The literal translation of that is toilet. God did not think very much of Moab, the world, right? But it's interesting because I don't know about you, but sometimes if the, if the devotions aren't going like I thought they should, or my prayer time isn't as sweet as I wish it were, I just go to the world sometimes. I'm going to God's toilet, the, the, the television, or Netflix, or Hulu, and just seeing what's on, and just because I'm going to try to find some satisfaction there. And what was supposed to be just a really quick journey, as you'll see, actually ended up taking a 10 years for them. But they were going there to look for fulfillment. They were going there to look for what God said they could have if they would have prayed and been patient and waited on the Lord. But instead, they went and they tried to find it in the world. And then it says in verse 3 that, uh, verse three that then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Always what happens, gang, when we go to the world, to the trough, to find our fulfillment, the idea of God is king, the idea of Jesus is Lord, dies in our life. God is not dead. It's our understanding of him and our recognition of him as our Lord dies. And then they took two wives, verse 4, of the women of Moab. The name of one was Oprah. Kidding. Orpha. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Parents, I want you to specifically tune in real quick here. If you're sleeping, wake up and you go right back to sleep after this, but I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else today, when we go to the world, our kids pay a price, always. When I am headed to Moab, it's my children that pay the price right alongside of me. And what these two boys did was what our kids do. When they see us marry the world, they will ultimately marry the world. Man, God is awesome for those of us that maybe have already botched that. Here's this, you got to keep with this story. Then both Malon and Chilion died also. Bummer. You're like, Darren, I thought this was getting better. Hang on. <laughs> and so the woman survived and her two sons and her husband. Naomi realized at that point what we often come to, and that is that this isn't really working out. This Moab thing, this world thing is not working out. And she says that she heard that there was bread in Bethlehem. Those that wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. There, it was there she just had to go back to the last place that they'd heard from the Lord. And that was where she was headed to. She realized it had been a disaster. In verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. I want to say something really quickly, by the way. God was not punishing Naomi. Please understand that. Sometimes God will allow things in our life that are of a corrective nature, a storm, as we saw in the book of Acts, that will blow you back on course. 
I'm steering against. Remember Paul, he was wanted to go one way and the, the storm blew another because God had uh, an appointment for him on an island called Malta. This was God blowing a, a towards Naomi, not punishing her at all. This was a, a corrective thing. If, and here's why I believe this. If God were to truly punish me for my sins, there is no punishment big enough. So he doesn't do that. That's what we talked about with propitiation. Jesus absorbed it. He is correcting her. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. This is verse 14 now. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Uh, uh, Naomi said to the, to the girls, I, I wanna, I'm skipping this so we can get through all of it. Naomi said to the girls, look, you don't have to go with me. I'm going to, to God. I'm going to where God has called me to be. You don't have to go with me. And Orpha said, awesome, I'm not. I'm staying here. Ruth, on the other hand, it says here in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God my God. And what a picture for us, for those of you that might be right now in Moab, to know that when you go back, you can bring people with you. I find it to be the truth that really goody-goody people are not that effective with winning the lost to Christ, to other sinners. It doesn't mean we can't, or, but, but those that if you, and I say this specifically because if your story, you think, man, my story is really jacked up. I'm telling you, that's awesome because God uses that. Your story redeems, is you being redeemed, but it, people, it draws them in saying, man, this, all this happened in your life and this is where you are. I want to know this God that you serve. Entreat me not to leave you. I want to see where this goes. And that's what happened. And in verse 21, Naomi says to her, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. And this is such a key to this story because she's going to say, call me Mara, which means bitter. She is empty. She is broken. She is humbled. If my people will, what? Humble themselves and pray. And look what happens. There was a relative, chapter 2, verse 1, of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And gang, this is where the concept of redemption is introduced in this story. That word relative is a word called goel. It's a Hebrew word. It's used 64 times in the Old Testament, and it's translated either redeemer or relative or near kinsman, I believe, is the King James Version. Leviticus 25, if you jot it down, you could go there later. There was this idea that God put in place that capitalism couldn't get out of control. Every 50 years, everything was set back to zero. If your land had been lost through mistakes and your finances and you were bankrupt, everything was returned back, the clock was set back to zero every 50 years. But there was an idea that was also set forth that if in between that time you had blown it, if you found yourself in a position such as Naomi where she lost everything, she went out full, she came back empty, that if there was a near kinsman, if there was a redeemer, that that person could, if they chose to, redeem them. Wasn't free, they'd have to buy the land, pay for the work and, but, and, and absorb them into their family, bring them under their covering. But that near kinsman, the redeemer, could do that. And so it says here that this verse two, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, 
Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said, go, my daughter. In verse 3, she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Deuteronomy 24, write it down, go later. God's plan was so perfect. It was a humble and a compassionate God, not welfare, but workfare, saying you can, if you are poor and you're broken and you have nothing, you can go to the fields and glean. The stuff that didn't get picked up, the stuff that didn't make it into uh, the threshing floor, that you could take that for your own family and bring it home. It's kind of, uh, I think, where we got the modern day concept of uh, hot dogs. I'm pretty sure that's all that happens, right? They just go sweep up the floor, chicken lips or whatever, and then they make hot dogs. I, I don't know that. That's just, I just wonder. Verse 8. She's going there to glean now. She's going to get grain. There's no chicken lips. This is all grain and wheat. So then Boaz uh, said to Ruth, verse 8, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not glean, oh, I love this, in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. He's already welcoming her into his uh, his people. Now, keeping in mind what I just said, she's a Moabitess. Moab, the toilet, the wrong side of the, the sewer. Okay, this is where she is from. And he's saying to her, God is giving her favor. And it says in verse 9 that when you're thirsty uh, to go drink from the water that the young men have drawn, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? You'll never thirst again because I'll bring water to you, rivers of living water. And it says that she falls on her face, and why have I found such grace that I am a stranger? And in verse 11, and Boaz answered and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. In verse 20, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, so, uh, just to catch you up, Ruth goes home. She tells Naomi, she's like, oh, I know that guy. I totally forgot he was there. Wow, this is awesome. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. It's that word again, Goel, a near kinsman. He's our redeemer. And she would say to Ruth, I want you to jump in the shower, get some perfume on, put on the stilettos. And that, that she did not say that. Go to Boaz tonight at midnight, where they would sleep at night to guard their crops. Go and curl up against his feet and not, listen to me, not for immorality, please. To curl up against his Feet. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? The, uh, the, the, the outer reds of the garment that spoke of their power, their wealth, their, who they were, their stature. To say to him, would you take me, a Moabite woman, under your covering? You and me of the world, the things that we've done, the things we've said, the things we've thought, who we are from the wrong side of the sewer, and would he do it? Would this near kinsman, this Goel, who didn't owe her anything, would he do it? At midnight, she goes there. And she does what Naomi said to do. 
Somewhere in the night, the blankets are off his feet. And what happens when your blankets are off your feet? Feet get cold. Right? Does nobody else have this problem? My wife does not. Her feet are hot every night. Our battle is for the thermostat and for where uh, blankets go because uh, her feet are always hot. Apparently, though, not Boaz because his feet gets cold and he wakes up and it's kind of like that, uh, I'm, I'm assuming a little bit like that John Candy moment in planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> wakes up, who are you? You know, what's going on? And I love this because she says, here I am. Here's why I'm here. You don't know me. I'm bankrupt. I'm broken. I'm worthless. I'm a Moabite. And I love this verse 10. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men who were poor, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you. Listen to this. All that you request for all the people of my town know you're a virtuous woman. Gang, what is he saying there? When we are, you showed up here this morning. You had options. That honors the Lord. You're, you could be boating. You could, many things we could do in Middle Tennessee. And not just Sunday. Monday morning when you wake up and you decide, you know what? I gotta, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. I don't got to. I get to. Man, that honors him. We're not gleaning in another field. We're going to the Lord and what he has. And it says that it honors him. And verse 12, a little bit of a crisis erupts here. Now it's true that I am a close relative. I am a Goel. I am a near kinsman. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, a near kinsman for you, good. There's a problem. I really like you. I want to do this, but there's another one that's closer. And it's, he gets first right of refusal. If you're a sales guy, you know what this means. He gets the first option on this deal. And it says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken had come by. Who is this relative? I believe that Boaz speaks of Jesus. Who does this speak of? I think there are a couple of clues here. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. And so he came aside and he sat down and he says, uh, it says here that he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. That is your clue. 10, the law, the, the rules, the regulations. That is our nearer kinsman. Can it redeem us? We'll see Deuteronomy 25, by the way, incidentally, one of the things about the near kinsman was this, and you guys that have multiple siblings pay real attention here. If you were married as a, a young woman and your husband died, the next one in line, the next brother in line was required, asked, obligated to, not required, but asked and obligated to marry you. Which I would imagine at some point when you say, hey, oh, I'm getting married, you know, the brother's like, yeah, that's great, I need to, we need to meet her. I want to see, just, just want to sign off on this before I sign up. But so what happens is not only did they have to marry them, but then they had to uh, have children with this woman. And then those children were accounted unto the name of the deceased brother. This was a huge sacrifice. It was a huge ask. And so sometimes they wouldn't do it. And part of the way that you knew that they weren't going to do it was they would take their shoe off and hand it to the next one in line as a sign that I'm a real heel. <laughs> I got no soul. I'm, I'm walking away from this one. 
the close relative, verse six says, I cannot redeem it for myself. Because he's like, I, I, first he's like, I'm in. This is awesome. Oh, wait. Oh, no. I got to marry a Moabite? I got to take care of her? This is going to totally mess everything up. And listen to this. The close relative says, if you don't, again, hear anything else, maybe this is for you. I cannot redeem it for myself. The law cannot redeem us. Our trying harder, our doing better, our doing it right all the time does not redeem us. I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot. And verse 17, also the neighbor woman, women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. Because Boaz would marry Ruth. He would redeem her. He would take her as his own. And again, I don't know how, I don't know a context in America. If you haven't traveled internationally, if you are a young woman and your husband is dead, it is bad news. You have so few options, little to nothing. What has happened here is her life is being redeemed in a way that we can't possibly really fully understand. Redeemed in a way that only Jesus can to take her who had nothing, to take her who had nothing to bring, nothing to give, nothing but her own shame, and say, I'll redeem her. And unto her was born, and this is, the, oh, this is awesome. Then there was a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. You might not recognize Obed's name, but he had a son called Jesse. He was David's pawpaw. The father of Jesse, this picture of redemption. If you can't remember the words propitiation and justification, remember that there is a Goel, there is a near kinsman who says to you, to me, that I got your back, that I am your near kinsman, that I can redeem you from what Galatians would call from the curse of the law. The wages of sin we're going to learn later in Romans is, is death. That's a paycheck I don't want to cash. And Jesus took that check for me. There's four things I really want you to jot down, four things I'd like you to remember from this story as we circle in for the landing. Number one, the right to redemption, that Jesus alone had the right to redeem. The nearer kinsman, my trying harder. I mean, how's it working out for you, right? That that's going to redeem me to that sozo, the salvation, that full life that God promised. And I'm going to try harder. Because that's going to redeem it. Starting now. Right? How many times have we done? Okay, now starting, well, tomorrow. Because I'm blowing it today. So it's starting tomorrow. Because I'm trying harder. It's Jesus alone that has the right to redeem us. And Jesus who has the power to and when we lean on Christ and not ourselves, I'm just telling you, it's amazing how fast that stuff just falls away, not through my power, but through the power of Christ, our Redeemer. He has the resources, number two, for redemption. Boaz was loaded, like Beverly Hillbilly style. Jed Clampett, loaded. Unending supply of loaded. The resources that Jesus had, he had the only currency that would matter, the only currency that could be accepted which was his perfect blood that fell to the ground and paid 
for my redemption. There isn't an amount of money in the world that can buy your fulfillment, your happiness, your sozo, your abundant life that Christ promised. Three, the reason for redemption. What was it? She said, verse, I, I think it's verse 9 of 2, why have I found such grace in your sight? It's because he offered it. Not because she was that good. He gave it to her. The reason was in that, in number four, in gang, what a promise for us, and that is the rest in redemption. Not just the resources, or the, the reason, but the rest that I can find in redemption. This is why it is important that we understand that we don't have any Chinese uh, drywall in our house. Because if I don't understand that, all of a sudden I start rotting from the inside out because I'm trying to redeem myself. I'm saying that my kids come home and they go to the cupboard to get what's there to eat. They don't offer me money. I assure you they don't. <laughs> it's just assumed correctly that it's already theirs. Uh, they're going to ask me for money today, I promise you, because they're going to go to that little, we've got to do our Dave Ramsey budget over again and include uh, like about $20 a month for those little machines out there. Because they're going to want to redeem money there, but they don't own that. That's not theirs. It's not mine. But when I come in in my house and Ethan comes flying in the door, if you haven't seen him this morning, he looks a little bit like a security guard at Mardi Gras. <laughs> he took it all off. He had the Mardi Gras beads and an, uh, some sort of fully colored thing. And he comes flying in the door. He hits the, the go-gurts, the, you know, and we have policies, don't get me wrong, we, you know, like a daddy, we're not going to let him just gorge himself, but he didn't have to pay for it either, because it's his. He doesn't have to come in and redeem his Groupon for us. <laughs> Two kids for the price of one at the Tyler House Groupon. I don't have to redeem myself. I don't have to redeem my husband or my wife. Man, maybe you're here this morning and your husband or your wife is away from the Lord and you're doing everything you can to get them back to the Lord, to redeem them. Praying enough, praying hard, praying fervently. If I pray more, maybe you're leaving little scriptures around the house. When I feel the weight that it's my job to redeem them, I feel a pressure that God never gave me to begin with. His, yoke was easy. His burden was light. And when I try to own their salvation, I try to redeem that in them. He just said, I got to love my neighbor as myself. What better neighbor are the one that sleeps right next to you? Love them as you love yourself and let Jesus redeem them. Point them to Boaz. That's what Naomi did with Ruth. She didn't force her. She, did, she just pointed her, said, go there, do this. Point them to Jesus and let Jesus do his work. Parents, if your kids are away from the Lord, if they're taking the scenic route to the kingdom, it's not your job to redeem them. It's your job to love them. It's your job to unpack, and I, don't get me, I'm not talking about, you know, wishy-washy. I know that, you know, I understand discipline. There are things that God has called us to be as parents, but what he did not call us to be was their savior. And you that have got kids that are grown and maybe away from the Lord now, just love them. You don't have to work into every conversation, that little jab or this dig or 
Because then all of a sudden you're the multi-level marketing guy. You know, you're the guy that they don't want to take mom's call because all she's going to do is preach at me. Just allow God to redeem them. Allow Jesus. And I'm not coming down on you or me. Well, I'm coming down on me a little bit. I'm not coming down on you because it's so easy. We love them. We want them so badly to come into the kingdom. And if I really love them as I love myself, then I will trust that Jesus is their redeemer and not myself. When I understand redemption and what it really meant that he paid the price, that he is the only one with the resources, he's the only one with the reason, he's the only one with the power to redeem even our own kids. There are moments where we even try to redeem a relationship, and I want to caution you on this. And sometimes if you, you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you, you're, you're in a situation where you, the door opens and he's home or she's home. You're thinking, oh, I wonder if she's in a good mood. I wonder how he's going to be. I wonder. And, and, and you try to redeem the relationship because you're walking on eggshells at the, at the expense of everybody around you. When I say redeem, you are paying a price. Understand this. Your kids will pay a price. You'll pay a price. Don't allow your kids to pay a price when you're trying to redeem a relationship that only Jesus can redeem, not you. It means that sometimes you're going to have to be truthful and, and to draw some boundaries and say, I can't, this is, this is not working for me. These are some boundaries. We need to get help. There are things we can do for this, but I am, I'm not going to try to redeem this by me. And don't get me wrong, love your neighbor as yourself. There is a, there is a truth in this that is so potent and so powerful, but what it does not say is uh, to sacrifice everything around you and your kids and everything you've got for the happiness so that this person can be nice. And if you're that person that comes home and you're expecting everybody to walk on eggshells around you, don't make them redeem that relationship so that you can be happy. Point to Jesus. Point him or her to Jesus. I don't mean to in, invade inside your hearts. I'm just saying there is an abundant life that Jesus promised, and that ain't it. You don't have to live that way. Go to Jesus. Don't expect from your spouse the stuff that only Jesus promised to give to begin with. You're like, you don't understand. She does this, and she doesn't do that. Man, go to Jesus with it. Let him point her to Jesus. You guys are on level playing field before the cross, and it is he that redeems, not you. He tells us in Ephesians 5 that we must redeem the time, for the days are evil. The only currency I really have is my time. Every minute I have, I'm handing it in in exchange for something else. This morning I woke up, I have X amount of minutes today. It's the only thing I have that I'd never get another one of. It is valuable to redeem the time. When I spend my time trying to save somebody else, when I spend my time trying to save this or save that or redeem me, redeem you, redeem, when he says that that's what he's supposed to do, I'm just wasting my time. I might as well get up on, throw my minutes off of the building because it ain't going to work anyway. And if you go into Ephesians 5, he tells us what we can do. And interestingly enough, he goes down in verse 17 or 18 of there to say, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Don't waste your time trying to make them be something, craft them into something that they're not. Just love them. Wives, respect them. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. It's all there. All these things we can waste our minutes on, redeem them for these things that are just a complete waste of time, like those uh, machines out front. You can go buy Twinkies all day long, and they're gone by the end of the month, I assure you. Well, they're somewhere, but they're you know, not in the machine. Redeem your time. You have a Goel that has redeemed you. He has said, 
to you and to I that are morally and spiritually bankrupt, I got you. I'll let you come under my covering. And my job isn't to try to push somebody else under the covering. It's to invite them and point them towards and say, this is your redeemer, not me. And an understanding of that, the dry wall that can ruin your life is gone. Because I have a basic understanding of something so simple that I, something so simple that I misunderstood it. Something so simple that I, I say I believe it, but then the way I'm living out my life, I'm not acting like I believe it. We're going to worship for a few more minutes. And my prayer for you this morning is this. If you are someone who has walked in here and you feel like, man, I really am morally and spiritually, I am a Moabite. I am Moabitish. I'm, I'm in the world. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Not to point you to me, I'm just going to point you to Jesus, point you to Boaz, your Redeemer, your Goel. You might be a believer and you've, uh, you know Christ, but you've been kind of going like Naomi and headed to, headed to Moab to get your fulfillment. And we have communion available as a reminder of the price that was paid, the only resource, the only currency that could do it, which was the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe come this morning and remind yourself of that and the power that that has in your life, that we might have a rest. If you feel this morning that your life is hard and burdened and my walk with Christ is empty, I wonder if maybe you just didn't understand redemption. There's a rest in it. I work not for rest or toward rest. I work from a position of rest. That's what Hebrews tells us. I'm here to pray. I'll be standing right here. You won't be interrupting me. Say, Darren, I'd really love to go to Jesus, and I have no relationship with him. I have no idea. I just would love to have that relationship. I'm, I'm right here. So is Tim Bassanio right here in the front row. Maybe you're in a position where you've got a relationship that you've been trying to redeem, and it was Jesus' job, and you just try to jump into the driver's seat, and it's time to let it go. Not the relationship, but let your work go. Don't misunderstand me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Just take the weight that you're supposed to let Jesus carry anyway. And allow him to redeem you, your spouse. And in doing so, the relationship. Don't run from it. Run to Jesus. Father, we are... Um, all in need of the redemption that you promised. You bought us like true without any intention of sending us back to being captives again, but for freedom, that it was for freedom that you set us free. And Lord, I know that this is a little heavy for some of us this morning, but might your spirit speak to everybody's hearts individually through the imperfection of the words that I craft, that your words are perfect and can still pierce our hearts relationships that we're trying to hold together. Let us let go of that and hold on to you, knowing that you can restore that person, those people, not me. And that we run to you, that you would have us under your covering, under your family, under your power, your redeeming power. 
It's in Christ's name, in the name of Jesus, it's your nature that we pray in. Amen.